0: Welcome back, creeps and freaks and geeks, to the show of shocks and shrieks. What do we have behind the curtain today, dare to peek? I hope your heart is not tender and meek, blah, 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 blah. Quarantine is making me weirder than I already was. Welcome and thank you to everyone for joining me for another episode of The Sideshow. I know you, my creepy friends listening to this episode, are my closest and dearest listeners, and I say thank you once more for the wonderful support. The podcast has now surpassed 15,000 downloads by a long shot, and the Facebook community grows by the day. Just a bunch of creeps living in their mother's basements, sharing terrible stories and exploring morality while delving into the lessons of each case. If you haven't already, please consider taking just a mere minute of your day and rating this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts and also joining us on our Facebook group, which can be found by searching Tales by Cole podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can also follow the Tales by Cole podcast on Twitter at Tales by Cole. This week's regularly scheduled episode was The Castro Kidnappings, and the support for the episode and podcast this week was absolutely insane. So many conversations. So many of you creep sharing the episode, which is honestly the biggest compliment. The first thing I'd like to say about the episode is why I chose that particular case. I know the episode was moving to a lot of people. The sheer tragedy of Amanda Barry's mother thinking she was dead and passing away before Amanda could make her escape honestly put a tear in my eye as well. But I picked this case because in my mind, it's as close to a happy ending as any true crime case can get. And I think we deserve that after Sylvia Likens. These women lived through terrible circumstances and had 10 years of their lives stolen away from them. But they were able to escape. They were able to rejoin society and despite the hardships, live a productive life. What I didn't tell you all in the episode perhaps shines some light on their triumphs. Amanda Berry works as a reporter for Fox 8 News, reporting on missing persons cases. Michelle Knight wrote a book, and Gina and Amanda also wrote a book, and have been able to affect actual positive change in the world and their community, which is a lot more than most people can say, which isn't a criticism of you or I though, this is a testament to the human spirit and their victory over that disgusting, subhuman creature, Ariel Castro. With that out of the way, I'd like to share with you a story, though. Not my own story, but a personal story of a fellow creep and a fellow podcaster. Les Gross, the host of the Worse Than Fiction podcast, which I recommend everyone check out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, reached out in our Facebook group to share this story with me. Sometimes it's too close to home, too uncomfortable to tell yourself. And so, on behalf of Les Gross, and in his own words, my friend murdered Paul Brown. It was sometime in April of 2002, which was 18 years ago at the time of this writing, so I can't be certain of the exact dates. I am sure that it was spring, not long after the events that will unfurl in this tale, and I remember the car I had at the time and how old I was. I was 19 and the proud owner of a 1985 Buick LeSabre, which was a giant semi-luxury car that seemed to float its way along the harsh, pockmarked streets of Hamilton, Ohio. It was the first car I'd ever owned, and I was damn proud of it since I bought it with my own money. In those days, I still lived with my mom, rent-free, and held a not-too-shabby job at a tumbleweed restaurant, and the only real responsibilities I had to worry about were feeding that hungry beast of a car and keeping a good stock of weed to share with my buddies. One day, sometime during that spring month, me and a friend that I won't name had met up with a mutual friend named Rick Miller, who I had known since our sophomore year in high school. He was cool and made his way into our circle of friends pretty easily. We had similar interests listening to metal, playing video games, and smoking weed we were all hanging out with our mutual friend Tom and his girlfriend at the time and took the hint that they wanted some intimate time. So we decided to go out for a cruise and smoke some bud and give them some space. Of course, since I was the only one of the three of us with a car, I was the driver. Usually on these roll and smoke trips, I would drive out of town to the more rural outskirts, which is exactly what we did. Hamilton is what I would consider a small city, And the townships around it are fairly densely populated, except on the west side. It goes from concentrated population and packed shopping centers to country living in less than a mile on that end of town. It was probably somewhere around 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon at this point. And once we'd finished, we came back and parked the car across the street from the house where Tom and his girl were having their private fun. We sat there for a while, chatting, and Rick was unusually alert, seemed paranoid, even more so than being stoned is responsible for. I said something along the lines of, What's up, Rick? You seem kind of nervous. I thought he was just worried that the cops were on their way to bust us for smoking a little weed, but his response was something I had never expected and didn't take too seriously at the time. He said something to the effect of, Man, I'm just worried that I have a warrant out on me. Me and Brad beat up some fag that owed me money, and the other night on the west side, I'm worried the cops are after me cause that dude ended up dead. We didn't kill a man, I swear. We just took his wallet and it had like five bucks in it and left him in a ditch. I found out a few days later that a dead body had indeed been found on the west side. While the crime rate in the city is pretty high... The number of murders that occur each year are usually in the lower single digits, generally around five. And those are mostly domestic situations that end tragically. Finding a murder victim in a wooded area of a densely populated neighborhood just doesn't happen. Brad was a year or so younger than our circle of friends, but he was still one of us. At this particular time, I hadn't seen him in a while and it wouldn't be until two years later that I found out he was being housed at a rehab facility for some time. Apparently on the night, Rick robbed Paul. Brad had snuck out of this rehab facility and wandered around town with Rick. The two were trying to find drugs. At some point, they crossed paths with Paul Brown as he was walking home. The last images of Paul alive were captured on an ATM surveillance camera in the plaza. They followed him for about three quarters of a mile until they reached a small wooded area that had a creek running through the middle of it. They caught up with him and Rick confronted him about some money he owed him and pushed him into the wooded area while Brad stayed on the outskirts of the tree line as a lookout, what happened in that wooded area would be described by seasoned prosecutors as one of the most heinous and brutal murders they had ever prosecuted. Rick assaulted Paul and made him turn out his pockets, then took his wallet, which would be found just downstream upon discovery of the crime scene. In his back pocket, a little over $7 hadn't been discovered by Rick, and it's unclear how much was in the wallet but as Rick said, he only took around $5. According to Rick, he left Paul laying in a ditch, but he was alive and someone else must have come along later and killed him. Paul had suffered not only a beating, but had been stabbed at least 14 times and his throat had been slit so deeply that he was nearly decapitated. Certainly a manner of death that no one should have to endure, especially over such a paltry sum of money. Could I have come forward to police with the statement Rick made? Probably. But I was a paranoid stoner at that time, and I didn't want anything to do with it. Nearly two years later, and I hadn't seen Rick since that day in my car. If I remember correctly, it was mid-2004, and I was walking down the street to a local corner store. A dark red, brand-new-looking Ford Taurus pulled up next to me and stopped, and the man driving got out hastily. I was a little concerned since it was a section of the street where there was no parking allowed. A tall, balding man, probably about six foot three, with a thick mustache, a long trench coat, and dress slacks walked right up to me and said, Are you Les? I reluctantly said yes, and he reached into his coat and pulled out one of those famous leather wallets and flipped it open to reveal a Hamilton PD badge and introduced himself as Detective Jim. He then asked me if I know a man named Rick Miller. To keep it brief, I answered only a few other simple questions, and he asked me if I would come down to the prosecutor's office for a formal interview, to which I agreed. I knew what this was about and realized that this was actually serious, so I gave them everything I knew. I found myself in court on the witness stand in February 2005, sitting directly across from Rick Miller, who's facing murder charges for the horrific death of Paul Brown. Rick apparently had loose lips about the crime, and I saw numerous familiar faces, all of which were there to testify about the things Rick had told them as well. All said and done, Rick was found guilty and the death penalty was on the table, but he was spared that and given life in prison without the possibility of parole for his role in the crime. Brad Jackson was given 15 years to life for lesser charges as the prosecution in this trial couldn't prove that he had participated in the murder itself. I never in my life thought that I would be friends with someone capable of murder so brutal and it just goes to show that you never truly know what is behind someone's eyes and in their heart. I hope you all enjoyed this personal story that Les has shared with us this week, and I hope I did right in telling it. I love our growing community and the support we can show one another, whether that be coping with the actions of those around us or simply coming to grips with certain truths about the world. I am a storyteller first and foremost— but I also want to help us grow as people, getting better and stronger every day. If you would like more information on this case, I will be sharing a list of sources for the story in our Facebook group, as well as a link to Les's podcast. So if you're curious, pop by and say hi by searching Tales by Cole Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. And with that, I close the curtain on this week's episode of The Sideshow. I hope all of you creeps enjoyed it. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to join our creepy little community, all lurking in our mother's basements, sharing terrible stories with one another. And with that, I say goodnight. Sweet dreams, my friend. Stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget to lock the doors.